The scripture reading this morning is from John 15, verses 1 through 8. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every, every branch that bears fruit, he prunes and makes it bear more fruit. You have already been cleansed by the word that I have spoken to you. So abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit. You, because apart from me you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. The word of the Lord. Oh, there we go. Thank you. We're in the middle of a series of, of teachings on the concept of prayer, and we're distinguishing between uh, prayer and the large concept of prayer and prayers with an S on the end, and how do we understand our prayers as part and parcel of a larger life of, of prayer? How do we understand and see all of life through the lens of prayer such that our little prayers, our prayers of intercession, our prayers of, of offering and presenting our requests to God, our prayers, our corporate prayers, contemplative prayers, how do we all understand those as part of of a larger concept of prayer. Paul says pray without ceasing, but he could not have meant that literally. Otherwise, you know, if we had to pray in a closet 24 hours a day, seven days a week, nothing would get done. We would all die. It would be very unproductive. So what does he mean when he says pray without ceasing? Is that possible? And how do we understand a life of prayer in this way? As Henry Nouwen said, the spiritual life without prayer is like the gospel without Christ. It just doesn't make sense, it doesn't work. Um, and so we would like in our spiritual journey to, to grow. We would like to deepen our relationship with God, um, deepen our awareness of God's presence within and around us at all times to be able to respond to our situations with a kind of a God consciousness, an awareness of God with us and within us. And that's gonna take more to grow in that way. It's gonna take more than just reciting prayers. It's gonna take more than um, just talking to God and presenting our requests to God, though it includes that. It's gonna take prayer as attentiveness to the life and voice of Jesus. In this way, prayer is a place of conversion. It's a place of transformation. It's a place where we grow in the character and love 
of Christ. And so we began this series with, by looking at this image of, uh, of Mary and Martha and Jesus visiting the home of Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus. And of course, Martha is running around all over the place. She's very distracted, trying to get everything done, um, you know, making sure that the pasta is, is, is looking good on, on all of that. And, and, and Martha is 21st century America, right? I mean, we are finding ourselves very distracted oftentimes, and Martha makes sure that, uh, that you know, that she's got to uh, check how many likes she got on her latest Instagram post. And, and meanwhile, the Savior of the, li- of the world is right there in her living room. And, and Mary is attending to him. She's, and she's not saying anything. She's not praying verbally. She's not singing worship songs. She's not doing Bible studies. She is just attentive to the presence of Jesus. And so this is an image of prayer that we are meant to uh, journey towards in our own lives. We looked at prayer as a journey last week um, and the parable of the hidden treasure. The man goes out into a field and he, and he finds this hidden treasure and then he goes off to sell everything he can in order to buy the field so that the treasure could be his. And, and so in many ways, um, prayer begins as an encounter with God and our spiritual life from then on is a journey to discover more and more of what we have already found such that um, we discover the treasure and as we pursue that we start to sell off all of our other attachments things that aren't serving us any longer in order that we could fully invest ourselves in what is the greatest treasure which is God himself and I talked about um, my used the metaphor of my relationship with Devin and how when we first met in college is when I discovered the treasure, but 20 years of marriage uh, has led me into deeper and deeper discovery of who she is, such that 22 years after we've been dating, um, she's, there's, she's still a mystery to me. And that's not like an odd thing. It just means there's, there's an infinite space to get to know. Um, and it's the same way in our relationship with God. God is bigger and more uh, than we can possibly imagine. And so we can never get tired of God. We can never get to know God too well. Uh, God is always more than we can know. And so uh, today we're going to be talking about prayer as, as healing, the practice of prayer as a healing practice. You know, in the four Gospels, it says that Jesus came um, preaching, teaching, and healing. And when it says that he came preaching, you know, don't picture like what you're looking at right now. It's not that he had a synagogue and he was giving sermons, although he did do that on occasion. Um, there are actually 17 words. It means proclaiming or announcing. Um, but then he also came teaching, which is to take the preaching a little bit deeper with his disciples. And then it says that he came healing. You cannot study the life of Jesus without encountering his healings all over the place. There were physical healings, there were psychological healings, and there were emotional healings, and there were spiritual healings. There's what the first century uh, called the casting out of demons, which we'll get to in a minute. But wherever Jesus was, his presence seemed to liberate people from things that shackled them, things that kept them truncated in life. His goal was to heal them, to release them, and to set them free. Um, and, uh, and one of the things that 
you see if when you study the life of Jesus is that there is joy everywhere around the life of Jesus. I don't know if you've um, been around a, an especially joyful person lately. There are many in our congregation. And, um, and, and it's kind of liberating when you're around somebody who's especially joyful. Um, it, it, it's, it becomes like a healing ointment for you when you're around that person and, and you become more joyful. It's kind of contagious. Um, and so it's, it's true with, in human relationships and cordial relationships. Um, and the opposite, sadly, is true, too. When you hang around somebody who's especially cynical or, or negative, that that can kind of rub off on you a little bit as well. So there's, we got to be a little careful about that. But it's true in, in relationships. We kind of rub off on each other. It's also true in therapy. If you've, ne if you've never seen a therapist in your life, I highly recommend it. Um, you know, we, we take our cars to get an oil change every 5,000 miles. Uh, when the pipes break, we call a plumber to come and fix the pipes. Um, why would we not call a therapist when we have problem going on in our mind, in our brain, or um, how we're experiencing life? And so, you know, the word therapy is just a, a Greek word that means healing. That's what therapy means. It just means healing. Um, and it's true in therapy because when you're with a therapist and you're sitting there one-on-one, -on -one, um, the half of it or maybe 75% of the work comes just by being in the presence of, the th of a good therapist who will attend to you and listen to you while you talk and you share and you verbalize what's going on. They don't even have to say anything. They might ask a couple guiding questions, but just being in the presence is at least half of the healing process. So it's true in therapy. It's also true in the spiritual life. When we learn to remain in the presence of Jesus, as we learn to abide more and more, um, it's a healing process. We find healing in our lives, in our souls, in our hearts, in our brains. Um, we read a passage uh, last week, and I want to just expand on this from Henry Nouwen's book. And for those of you who weren't here, I'm reading um, Father Henry Nouwen's book, uh, the, the Only Necessary Thing, and it's a compilation of his best thoughts on prayer, um, and, and it's based on the story of Mary and Martha. He writes, he writes this, um, let's see, if I can find it here. Prayer is the act by which we divest ourselves of all false belongings and become free to belong to God and God alone. The closer we come to God, the stronger will be God's demand to let go of the many safe structures that we have built around ourselves. Remember I talked about a couple weeks ago about how we have this tendency to put scaffolding and it's kind of like in prayer, God tears the scaffolding around so that the beauty can actually be seen and you and made in the image of God are the beauty, right? And so, <coughs> structures, um, tearing down the many safe structures we have built around ourselves. Prayer is such a radical act because it requires us to critique our whole way of being in the world, to lay down our old selves and accept our new self, which is Christ, the life of Christ in us. In the act of prayer, we undermine the illusion of control by divesting ourselves of all false belongings 
and by directing ourselves totally to the God who is the only one to whom we belong. And so in prayer, we're drawn into the presence of Jesus, and his, in his presence, we find healing as the attachments and disorders begin to melt away slowly over time. Um, in this way, the spiritual journey of prayer is, in fact, um, a journey, but it's not about comfort. In this way, prayer is about conversion, transformation. Let me read one more little quote here on page 48, on page 40. To pray means to open your hands before God. It means slowly relaxing the tension which squeezes your hands together and accepting your existence with an increasing readiness, not as a possession to defend, but as a gift to receive. And so praying is living. And it's kind of a, a different way of, of thinking about prayer. Being in the presence of Jesus where you can look at your own life and examine your own life carefully and safely because you're being held by the love of the Savior. Um, and so it's not that when we examine ourselves and, as he says, critique our whole way of being in the world, it's not that we're to be judgmental about ourselves. Um, Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn uh, so we shouldn't condemn ourselves either. But it is to ask ourselves, what, it, what am I holding on to that is no longer serving me in my journey of following Christ? And can I let that grow, go? So to look honestly and objectively at our inner experience. And that's hard work. Um, that's therapy. It's, it's healing. And it's, and it's a free version of therapy too, which is nice. Now, I've needed the presence of Jesus in my own life for this kind of healing um, to the degree that I have, and I've got a long way to go, but I'm on this journey, and it's been incredible for me. Jesus, on one occasion, he said this, as was read so well a moment ago, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, if you abide in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit to showing yourselves to be my disciples. It's an interesting passage. He says, I am the vine. He says, he is the vine and we are the branches and we're supposed to produce fruit. When I was in college, I had a mentor, and he led a little discipleship group. There was 10 of us, and, and, uh, and I remember him teaching on this passage to us, and he read the passage, and, he's, and we were in Santa Barbara, California. Most of us were 21, 22, getting close to the end of college, and uh, he read the passage. He said, um, he said how many of you have, have, uh, have been to the, the wineries up in Santa Ynez? And a couple of us were like, mm, yeah, kind of, I've been to the wineries. And he said, okay, well, how many of you have, have, have seen, the, the, you know, been up into San Inez and you've seen the grapevines and the wineries? And we're all like, yeah, we've seen those. And he said, um, he said okay, well, how many of you have seen um, a, a grapevine in harvest season? And we're like, yeah, we all raised our hand. And he said, okay, when you look at a grapevine, you have, you have the trunk or, or the vine. It looks, like a, it looks like a trunk. I think we've got an image of that. Um, 
it looks like a trunk, but that's a vine, right? How many of you have seen the vine? We're like, yes, we've seen a vine. Why are you asking us these questions? And then, and then he's like, well, and then you see the little branches. They're brown or green kind of coming off the vine, and they have some leaves on there, right? How many of you have seen the branches with the leaves on them? We're like, yes, this is getting boring. And then he's like, okay, well, and you've seen the leaves. On, and how many of you have seen the grapes coming off of the branches with the leaves that are attached to the vine? And we're like, yes, we've all seen this. What's your point? And, uh, and he says, well, ha- this. How many of you have ever seen um, a branch on a grapevine struggle and strain? How many of you have ever seen a branch say, I just need to work so hard and I can get this fruit out. If I struggle and strain and groan, this fruit will come out. And we're like, no, we've never seen that. And he said, well, what's the job of the branch? We're like, to produce fruit. And he said, no. Okay, to make leaves. No. Okay, what's the job of, what's the, job of the branch? And he said, nothing. The only job of the branch is to stay attached to the vine. That's its only job description. It doesn't have to do any work. Its sole purpose is to stay attached to the vine. And if it stays attached to the vine and it's a healthy vine, the vine's going to bring the nutrients into the branch and it will produce the fruit. It has very little to do with the branches. The branch just stays attached to the vine. Same in the spiritual life, same in our relationship with Jesus. Our goal is not to strive and strain and try so hard to be good. Our goal is to stay attached to the vine so that his life, his truth, his grace, his nutrients will flow. Um, Jesus says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Um, And so... Uh, that's what the branch does and that's what we do. So prayer then is dwelling in the presence of Jesus and soaking in his presence. And prayer then begins to melt away the things that might attack um, the branch or the fruit, the insects, the bacteria, whatever it is, the narrative, the anger, the cynicism, the blame, the self-hatred or self-absorption. It begins to melt away slowly over time. And it gets replaced with nutrients that bear fruit. So how do we stay in the presence of Jesus? That's really the question for us, isn't it? Because it's easy to just say, well, stay in the presence of Jesus. Thanks, Chris. I appreciate that. But I've got deals to get done. I've got, I've got to drive places. There's all kinds of craziness going on in the world and in the country and, and in Ukraine. And how am I supposed to stay in the presence of Jesus with all of this stuff going on? We're not going to be monks. We're not going to go live in the desert and, you know, and be separatists. So how does this work for modern? life. Let me give you a suggestion. Um, and it's just a suggestion, but it's helped me. It's been really helpful for me in my journey. And a few examples of this suggestion. This suggestion is to use scripture um, as a way to, to, to help us in prayer. Images from scripture can be a very, very helpful way for you to ponder and to use your own imagination. Um, and by the way, God uh, has the greatest imagination. Nobody has a, a greater imagination than God does. If you, if you wonder if um, God is very imaginative, just look at the human eye. Just look at thunder and lightning or the stars. God is the most imaginative creature, or not even a creature. I mean, God is the most imaginative being, and he created us in his image with imaginations that we would use those imaginations to deepen our spirituality and, and give glory to God, such that we have artists like 
uh, Deb Penny and Donna Ree who do art to the glory of God. Um, and, and that's a wonderful thing. So I, I want to share um, one way to practice this is to take an image from scripture and to ponder it. This is a Rembrandt painting. You don't actually have to use an image. Just use the text or your own memory of the story itself and that will suffice. But this is an example of when Jesus was on the boat with his disciples in the midst of a storm. I used this image when I preached my first sermon here. Um, not the picture, not the Rembrandt, but this text about Jesus in the boat. And, um, you know, six of his 12 disciples were professional fishermen. And they're in the midst of this incredible storm. The boat's about to capsize. And uh, they go and they look at Jesus, who, by the way, was not a professional fisherman. He was a carpenter and he lived out in the hill country, not near the water. And so the even the professional fishermen, it says, were scared for their lives. And so they must have been thinking, oh, Jesus must be especially scared because we're kind of used to this. And so they look back and there he is asleep in the stern. And it says, on a cushion. I love that the author loves to, gives us that little detail, on a cushion. The peace of Christ, the peace of mind that he had in the midst of this storm um, is an incredible image. And, uh, and so they're rocking, the water's crashing over them, and they say to him, don't you care that we're perishing? And you kind of picture Jesus kind of rubbing his eyes and going like, what are you, what are you so worried about? But he has this peace of mind in the midst of the storm, and that's a great image. What if you took that image in prayer and you put yourself into the boat? And in prayer, you um, think to yourself, what are the storms that are going on in my life? And can you say to Jesus, Jesus, in the midst of all of these storms, I know that you're on the boat. And because of that, can I go and sleep next to you on the cushion? in the midst of the storm that I'm in. So that's one way. What are the storms in your life? Just so that little bit can help you to take that image and begin practicing prayer in a new way. Um, th that particular image is one that I've been using for 18 years. It came to me in the middle of a dream, in a dream when I was going through cancer. And it has been part of my spiritual journey um, for all these years ever since. Another one could be the story of Mary and Martha um, that we looked at the first week. Try, try entering into prayer as Martha first. So you go into prayer and you're Martha and you imagine all of the things that you've got on your to-do list and all of the things that you're worried about and thinking about and distracted by and just let your brain and imagination run wild. I'm Martha. I'm going to be all over the place. And then maybe after a couple minutes, maybe you can have a change of mind and say, now, now I'd like to go and, and, and sit with Mary. Can I go and, and sit with Mary and attend to Jesus and let the, the Martha busyness go? And that's another way um, you can do that. Or you can see Jesus walking on the water. Remember that scene when Jesus is walking toward the disciples and he calls Peter out. And he says, Peter, come out, come towards me. And, and you know, we look at that text and we focus on how Peter doubted. He took his eyes off Jesus and he sank. But I've never walked on water. Have you? It, the text says that he got out of the boat and he took several steps before he sank. Uh, that's a really remarkable image. What if you put yourself in that boat? 
Um, maybe there's some new job that, uh, that, that you're scared or wondering if you should take. Maybe there's um, a new venture or new volunteer thing or something that is calling you into the unknown, into a very scary water, like you could easily drown. But can you be like Peter and say, Lord, can, can you lead me out? And instead, uh, lead me out like Peter, to have the courage of Peter to step out of the boat. But instead, I'm going to keep my eyes on you, and I won't take them off. Or you can think about Mary Magdalene. It says that she had seven demons. Maybe those were literal demons, or maybe there were maladies that we would have different names for today. Or maybe the names that we have for maladies today are actually demons, you know. But uh, sometimes we use the term demons in common language. We say, you know, he's really battling his demons right now. Um, as though there are these destructive forces or habits that sort of um, can have a grip on, on who we are and keep us from living the way we want to live. Um, and so somehow being in the presence of Jesus for Mary Magdalene healed her of the seven demons. They were released, right? And you may not realize, and she then became like the, like the leader of the female disciples. You may not know this, um, but uh, Jesus had female disciples. Some people think he only had male disciples. That, that is a massive misunderstanding. He did not. The women disciples are mentioned in Luke 8. And Mary Magdalene is listed at the top. She was set free and she was at the grave of Jesus coming to his dead body to take care of it and found that he was alive. The devotion that she had, she was so devoted to him. She loved him so much. Why did Jesus choose her to be the first person to bear witness to the resurrection? She said, I have seen the Lord. That's the first Christian sermon. That means that Mary Magdalene was the first Christian preacher. Why did he choose that? Because she had been healed in his very presence. And they had this intimate connection. Maybe, maybe you have some demons. Um, maybe, maybe you have some struggles, some habits, or some issues. Uh, I I personally struggled for many years with depression and some anxiety, and I, I believe that as time has gone on, that that is becoming less and less and less of a force in my life. But maybe there's some struggles that you have. I love God. I love Jesus. I have faith, but I still struggle, and, and maybe you do too. And whenever I bring that into the presence of Jesus, I find a calming spirit um, and, uh, and yeah, it comes over me. Or you can um, see the blind beggar or the le any of these narratives from the Gospels are just wonderful to picture. What about the man who was born um, blind? And No, not the man born blind, but the man at the pool who needed healing. And Jesus said to him, do you want to be made well? I mean, your strategy for healing yourself hasn't been working Yet, do you want to be made well? And maybe we, sometimes we have to ask ourselves, am I comfortable in my misery such that I don't even want to be healed? Um, and, and so there's wonderful images. To Jesus asleep on the cushion, you can say, why am I so afraid of the storm? To Martha and Mary in the presence of Jesus, you can say, what am I so distracted with? To Jesus calling Peter out to walk on the water, you can say, why do I need the security of the boat? To see Mary Magdala 
healed of seven demons. You can say, how can I have the kind of love and devotion that Mary had such that you'll bring healing in my life too? You see how this works? It's not just sitting around and calling it prayer. It's not just like going on a hike and calling it prayer or playing golf and calling it, I'm in the presence of God, I'm in nature's prayer. No, it's actually hard work. Uh, it requires an attempt to be pouring your own heart out. And sometimes, um, for some people, they, they will use a journal to record these thoughts. In fact, that was, that's a wonderful way of doing it. It was Henry Nouwen's um, primary way. Even many of his published books were simply journals, his private journals that became published for, uh, for others. And, and it's a wonderful thing. So the goal is to stay in the presence of Jesus. As I mentioned earlier, the spiritual life without prayer is like the gospel without Christ. It doesn't work. So may prayer lead us into places of, of healing in our lives. And let me close with this thought by Father Nowen. Prayer is leading every sorrow to the source of all healing. It is letting the warmth of Jesus' love melt the cold anger of resentment. It is opening a space where joy replaces sadness, mercy supplants bitterness, love displaces fear, gentleness and care overcome hatred and indifference. But most of all, prayer is the way to become and remain part of Jesus' mission to draw all people to the intimacy of God's love. Prayer is leading every sorrow to the source of all healing, which is the presence of God, that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So may we learn to dwell there in an increasing measure. Um, I encourage you to take time each day, even if it's five minutes, as Jim Finley would call, have a rendezvous with God. And let that intention um, also then open you up to the rest of your day to be in the presence of God. Lord, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you that you are... Um, you are everywhere, and you're, as the psalmist said in Psalm 139, your presence is inescapable. So may we have eyes to see that. May we attend to your love that holds us, that beckons us forward. We know that you meet us and you love us just the way we are, and you love us so much that you want us to grow and you want uh, to deepen our joy, our life with you. So give us a God awareness, a God consciousness, and an attentiveness to Jesus in our midst. In his name we pray, amen.